Pasha Sazinu is the Shira Sazinu, the song of Hazinu. We've discussed in previous years what it means for a section of the Torah to be called a song. Certainly it means that it's poetic, that the language is uh, not always literal, the language is rich, evocative, it, it has an emotional component, and Hazinu certainly has all of, all of those things. It is a particularly, it always strikes me as a particularly compelling and beautiful, if somewhat uh, dark and uh, dark and uh, you know, disturbing poem, but, but it, it, is, it is a rich and uh, very evocative poem. One of the facets of the poem, which is something that we find in many areas, of, in many places in Tanakh, throughout Chomish and throughout Navi, but it, it appears, it's a motif that appears quite, uh, quite distinctly in Hazinu, is, is the notion of divine anthropomorphism, the idea that God is portrayed as somewhat human. A number of examples from Hazinu, beginning with the very first Pasuk, the, the words of my mouth, as if Hashem has a mouth. Later Hashem says that Hashem has, has guarded us in the, in the howling wilderness, in the Sohu Yilel Yashimon, he guarded us, Yitzrenu ki'ishone no. He guarded us as the apple of his eye. As if Hashem has an eye, and his eye has an apple. Later, the Pasuk talks about the, the anger Hashem feels, the, the betrayal the, the Hashem feels toward, toward the way we behave toward him. Vayar Hashem vayinatz mikas v'nosav. Hashem became, became uh, full of loathing, full of, full of rejection toward Yisrael because we angered him, we provoked him. Hashem says, Vayomer astira mehem. I will turn my face away from them. We have this recently in the parsha. Again, none of these things are unique to Hazinu. All, all of these types of anthropomorphism, limbs, mouths, and so on, noses, can be found elsewhere, the emotions also, but Hazinu has a large number of these physical and very human-like descriptions of God, one after another. God says, I will turn my face away from them, I'll hide my face from them. Hashem says bitterly, Haim kinuni below el, they have provoked me to jealousy. <coughs> jealousy is very much a human emotion by their worshiping idols. Kiasuni behavlehem. They've angered me with their uh, with their nonsense, with their their nothingness, their vanity. Hashem describes himself as that fire, the fire of anger, burns in my nostrils. I, I, later, Hashem talks about how he's going to how he's going to wreak vengeance and punishment on Israel. He says, Im shanosi harbi, the glittering sword, the, the cherub of Hashem, the glittering sword, yadi, my, my hand holds on to judgment. Hashem takes an oath. He says, earlier he said, <coughs> Ki yadi, I, I lift up my hand to the heaven. Hashem refers to his chitim. Hashem says, moros, achalavam, that, that I'm going to pile evil and misfortune on them. Chitzai, I'm going to use up all, spend all my arrows against them. Hashem is using arrows and swords. Again, there's nothing unique about this. These types of divine anthropomorphism are present throughout Tanakh, but uh, Hazinu is a particularly rich and evocative poem, and we have, all these, we have all these anthropomorphisms piled up one after another, one on top of another. And beyond the specific terms like Yad and Cherev and Af and, and emotions, Beyond that, the entire Hazinu describes the relationship of Klal Yisrael to Hashem using very emotional terms. You know, the Telchacha, other places, Hashem gets angry, it says, Bechara Af Hashem. 
But uh, the, my sense, at least, and I don't, I, I'm not going to make a rigorous point to this, but my sense, at least, is other places, it, it, it's more of a, Shem is angry because we disobey him, he punishes us. Here, the, there's, a, there's, a powerful, there's a powerful emotional sense of betrayal. I treated the Jews so well, look how they repay me. I was with them in the desert, I guarded them, I cared for them, I protected them, and they turned their backs on me, and now let's see, Hashem says bitterly, let's see how they'll do when I turn my back on them, then they'll see what it feels like. They'll see what it's like when, when I'm not taking care of them. It's, it's a very, very emotional, very, very human register, the entire, the entire tone of Hazinu. And as we said, of course, again, this is not unique to Hazinu. The, the Torah often, Dibra Torah, Kaloshim B'nai Adam, in much of the Torah, Hashem speaks through, the Torah speaks through, the, through these kinds of anthropomorphisms. But this is something that, that uh, triggered a, a, a great theological crisis, a great theological difficulty for the philosophically-minded Jews of a thousand years ago, this became a, uh, a great uh, theological riddle, a theological conundrum. The, the, as we'll discuss, there was a very strong, widely-held conviction that Hashem is, is something much more abstract. Hashem has no body. Hashem is not a physical entity. He doesn't even have emotions, as we're going to see. So what, so what, what is all this language in Tanakh that, that, that describes Hashem in such human terms? This was discussed by systematically and rigorously by a number of the great philosophers of, of Yadus, of Sadiagon and Rambam. It was discussed informally in passing by all kinds of writers of the um, Mefarshe Mikra, by Jewish thinkers, and so on. And today, today the, as we'll discuss, the Rambam it was by far the most uh, comprehensive and eloquent and trenchant on this point. And the Rambam, of course, was fanatically opposed to any kind of uh, belief in, any kind of literal belief in divine anthropomorphism. Rambam writes about this repeatedly throughout his writings and says, absolutely not, unacceptable, heresy. And Rambam's position basically carried the day. Today, the Rambam's position is universally held. It's, it's, it's taken for granted that Hashem has no goof, and you know, Hashem, Hashem is not physical. Hashem has no, is in no way comparable, commensurate to, uh, to, to, a, to, a, to a human being or to any, or to any created physical object. But as we'll see, it wasn't always that simple. Rambam himself testifies that he fought, uh, that, that, that he was appalled, that not everyone understood this. As we'll see, there, there are numerous other indications that this was not always as self-evident as, as it is today. So in, 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 our, in, in our discussion tonight, we're going to survey a little bit of beliefs on this. We're going to take at least a brief and basic survey of what we know about beliefs on this proposition in the medieval period. And then, and again, the, the, the Rambam's view has dominated, but, but, but as we'll discuss, it, 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 was once, uh, it was once a somewhat interesting and somewhat debated question. That's what we're going to, that's what we're going to go through tonight. Rambam, as we said, discusses this in numerous places throughout his writings. He discusses it in his commentary to the Mishnah, which is where he formulates his famous 13 principles of faith. We know uh, from Yigdal. Yigdal is a poem which puts the 13 principles of, uh, of faith to verse and is a popular song. So the, the Iker number three is Ein lo demos haguf, ein no guf. Uh, that uh, Hashem has no guf and uh, no, no version of guf. And that is the Yisod HaShlishi, which the Rambam writes in his introduction to the Perichelech and Sanhedrin in his Pirusha Mishnah. He writes the Yisod HaShlishi is the negation of Gashmus, that Hashem has no, no physicality. He has no, etc., that, that he, he's not affected by the types of incidents, accidents that befall goof, that befall goof him. The, things like movement is a property of goof. Hashem is not a goof. He has no movement. 
he says, and that's why, and, and that's why also there's no, there's no division and there's no combination. Those are all properties of guf. That's what, that's what Chazal meant when he said, Hashem had Lamala in heaven, there's no sitting, no standing. Those, those are all characteristics and properties of physical entities. And so on, he says, he brings the Pasuk that the commentaries all bring in this context, Valmi to Damyun El, Yeshaya says, Hashem says, who will you compare me to? I, I, am in no, I in no way resemble anything in your experience, anything physical. Valmi to Damyuni, Hashem says, what can you possibly compare me to? I'm not comparable to anything. I'm not physical, Hashem says. If he was a goof, he'd be similar to other goofim, at least in the basic property of being a goof. He's not a goof. He's completely alien, completely different from anything we know about. Therefore, the Rambam says, all the language in the Mikra and the Kisvei HaKodesh that use physical language are all derech hashala, are all borrowed terms. They're all, uh, they're, all, they're all poetic or literary, but they are not to be interpreted literally. That's what Chazal themselves acknowledge. The Torah writes like this, Dibra Torah, Kiloshim B'nai Adam. The Torah speaks using human language, even if it's not 100% precise. And that is, that is the doctrine of the Ramah. He says this in the Pirusha Mishnah. He says this in his Mishnah Torah. Mefurash B'Torah B'Navim, that there is no, Hashem has no guf. He brings, again, numerous psukim that indicate this. Lori Yisim Kaltmuna, Belmita Damyuni Ba'eshva. And so on and so forth. So, what does it mean? The Rambam says Hashem has raglayim, the sachas raglov, in the end, in the end of Parshas, uh, in the in, in the story of the Saras Adibros, that it, it says that they saw, they had a vision, they saw the sachas raglov under Hashem's feet, so to speak. There was uh, that there was a stone, and so on. The luchos were ksuvim be'etzpalokim, the finger of God, Yad Hashem, Ene Hashem, Ozne Hashem, etc. This is all human language from a human perspective. We lack the proper terminology. We use terms like this, but they're not literal. They're not precise. Brings the pasuk in Arpasha, Im Shanosi Harbi. God speaks of His sword. Does Hashem have a sword? Does He kill with swords? Of course not. Mashal Mashal. It's self-evident these things are uh, these things are mashalim. They are not to be taken literally, and so on. Rambam goes further. Since Hashem has no guf, he does not have any of the properties, the characteristics of guf, and so on. He doesn't have uh, motion and things like that. And furthermore, the Rambam says, and this is something that people often, I think, don't realize or do not stop to contemplate. Rambam says, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't waken, that's fine. Velo kas, velo schok, Hashem has no anger, Hashem has no levity, velo simcha, Hashem has no joy, velo atzvus, no, no sadness. None of those things, because uh, all those things are, are, are specific to guf. This time of the year, the Yom Naram davening is full of language about Hashem's anger and Hashem's joy and so on. We often refer to Hashem as having these emotions. Says the Rambam, Hashem has no emotions. And the, because again, Rambam, Rambam argues, first of all, these are properties of guf. And second, Rambam goes on, Hashem is unchanging, Hashem is, Hashem is immutable. He says, even though the Torah uses language like Yoshe B'Shemayim Yishak, which is the language of Schok, our parsha again, Kiyasuni Bahavlehem, Hashem says that they have angered me with their vanities. Again, none of that can be interpreted literally. We have to say Dibur Torah Kalashim B'nai Adam, because again, if Hashem was sometimes angry and sometimes rejoicing, that would that would imply uh, change. That would imply transition. Hashem is immutable. Hashem is perfect. Hashem is unchangeable. So, so these things are limited to gufim, these things are limited to, I, to things that can change. Hashem has no guf, Hashem does not change. All these emotions, only, all these emotions and feelings and uh, temporal states only apply to gufim ha'afelim. 
Hashem is beyond any type of emotion, any type of... Uh, so not only does Hashem have no goof, he has no feelings, even though the Torah uses language like that, it's just as much a mushal, the Rambam says, as when it says he has a yad. Just as it's, we all understand, Hashem does not have a yad in the sense, like the Statue of Liberty does, it's a hand, or we have a hand, it's not a big hand, a small hand, Hashem does not have a hand, neither does he have emotions, just as we, just as we understand that when we say yad Hashem, or regal Hashem, or af Hashem, it's just a figure of speech, it's a literary description of how Hashem acts toward his creation, so too when it says Hashem is angry and Hashem has simcha, it does not in any way mean it literally. It means Hashem acts toward us in, in a way with destruction, or in anger, in a way written in a way in a way of giving us plenty and giving us good things as if he were having joy. He does not actually have joy, he does not actually have anger. All this is included in the basic doctrine that Hashem has no body, Hashem has no none of the none of the properties of bodies, and so on. Rambam says this again in Maranavuchim, he explains once again in the Guide to the Perplexed. Dibra Torah Kalashim Bnei Adam. Hashem speaks. The Torah speaks the way the, the way humans speak, but it's not uh, it's not literal in any way. He says even the, the terms that we use about God, which are bodily terms, we mean that they imply we mean that they imply perfection. That it's a way of expressing that God exists, and because we we only understand corporeal existence by saying God has a body, it's our limited way of saying He exists. But of course, it's not accurate. It's a, we never attribute to anything which is negative, which is a defect or want. That's why even in the Lashem Bnei Adam, we don't use language that Hashem is sleeping, that Hashem is eating. Those things, even in Lashem Bnei Adam, we don't say. Anything, anything that, is, that is negative, we don't say even in Lashem Bnei Adam. Lashem Bnei Adam, we say things which are positive. That's a point we'll return to later, that in certain cases where Rishonim use language, that they, they emphasize that this is not literal. Sometimes they meant because Hashem, they may have meant because Hashem has no goof. Sometimes they meant because this is negative. We certainly can't use at all anything negative about a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Eating, sleeping, these things are, were considered by the Rambam vulgar, were considered by, by the Rambam deficiencies, and so on. Like Elio mocks the Nevi'i Habal, call him, call in a loud voice, he tells the prophets of Baal, maybe he can't hear you, maybe he's sleeping, and so on. God shouldn't be sleeping. But the Rambam says even the, even the things that are positive are not literal because they're, 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 they're things that are properties of the physical world and, the, and, and, and they don't actually apply literally correctly to God. Rambam goes so far as to say in Hilchus Tshuva, in Hilchus Tshuva the Rambam says he, he, he has a taxonomy of the various types of heresy and people who forfeit their Olam Haba, a Min and an Apikaris and a Kofar Batara and so on. So Rambam says the term min, sectarian, there are five people, five, five beliefs that, that qualify someone as a sectarian. One of them is, one of them is that if someone says, Sheyesham Ribon Echad, he believes in one God, he believes in the unity of God, He believes that there is a, there is a God, and, God and, 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 there, and there is a single God, but God has a guf. That is, that someone who believes that is called a heretic. So that's certainly in line with everything else the Rambam said, that it's crucial and fundamental to believe that God has no body. And here he goes so far as to say that if you believe God has a body, you are a sectarian, you are, you are a kind of heretic. And here, here we, th- th- this is the first and the most famous of the places that we see that Rambam's beliefs here were not quite universal. There is a uh, very famous comment of Ravid, Rabbi Avram ben David, Rabbi Avram the, the Ravid the third the great uh, opponent of the Rambam. Ravid has a very brief and somewhat cryptic commentary. He says, 
Why did Rambam call such a person a min, a sectarian? According to our text, the Ravid says, Many people who were greater and superior to the Rambam believe this, based on what they saw in the Psukim, and even more so what they saw in Agadus. Ravid is pointing out, as Rambam himself agrees, there are many, many Psukim and statements of Chazal that indicate Hashem has a guf. Many people, therefore, believed, actually believed that Hashem had a guf, and these people, he calls them greater than, greater and better than Rambam. Because of these Agadahs, because Agadah has the unfortunate uh, tendency sometimes to confuse people and to muddle their thinking because of the, it's not the, the true meaning of the Agadah is not always apparent. So it's pretty clear that Raiva did not accept the idea that, that God had a body. He, he blames it on Agadahs and Sisadeus. It's pretty clear he himself agreed with Rambam. That it agreed to the underlying theology. He did not agree, though, that Rambam should have been so sharp and called people like this Apikursim because it is very reasonable to make this error because of the language of Tanakh and the language of Chazal. What made these people greater than the Rambam? What made these people greater than the Rambam? So that's a good question. The, the Kesef Mishnah has a, very, has a hard time with that language of, with that language of the Ravid. He says, the Ravid, Pek Kadosh, how could he have said such a thing? He says, someone who believes Hashem has a goof, he said, such a person you would call greater than the Rambam, he says. So he says, the Sefer HaIkarim of Yosef Alvo has a different text to the Ravid. The Ravid's text was that, it's, he, does, he has a whole, whole different wording of the Ravid, that even though the Ikrimun is like the Rambam, but someone who believes he has a goof because of the language of the Psukim and the Midrashim, we shouldn't call him a min. He doesn't go so far as to call him Gedolim Vatovi. Even if the Arnosuch, the Kesem Mishnah says, that's what he means. He means that it's not their fault. He doesn't really mean, he doesn't really mean that these people are somehow greater than the Rambam. If he does mean they were greater, one suspects, possibly, that it, one might suspect that what he means is you know, the Ravid didn't, unlike the Rambam, the Ravid probably did not consider theology and philosophy the be-all and end-all. The, the Ravid may have considered greatness in Talmud scholarship and greatness in the, the halachic parts of Talmud and Judaism to be as important or more important than, than theology. This is, this is an idea that comes up a lot in this discussion, that, uh, that, that various, various thinkers were, were described as being you know, not philosophers, but Talmudists, either as a positive thing or as a negative thing. So you know, it's possible that the Ravid may have meant that they were greater than the Rambam he felt in, in, their, in their piety or in their, in, their, in their Talmud scholarship, even if they weren't, maybe they weren't as philosophically acute as the Rambam, but, but that their overall worth as, as an Ever Hashem, possible. I, I'm speculating, I, I, it's hard to know what, what exactly... Oh, um, yeah, so you're suggesting that Ravid, we know that there's evidence that he had certain Kabbalistic uh, affinities. He may have been a Kabbalist himself. You're suggesting perhaps he meant that, they, that even in the realm of Machshavet Yisrael, maybe they had a uh, superior form of knowledge. An interesting idea, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to do more research and see if anyone actually proposes that or if there's basis for that. It could be. He doesn't give you much hint. He, so it's hard to know, right? He, he doesn't mention, mention Kabbalah. He mentions Tanakh and, and Agadahs, but yeah, I, I don't know. Interesting idea. Many other Akronim go back and forth on this Rambam. In particular, there, this is a topic we, we've covered years ago, I think, in other contexts, but in particular, there, there is a great, uh, there's, there's a great theological debate within the worldview of the Rambam whether someone who makes a grave theological error but makes it in good faith is considered an apicurus or not, whether good faith is a defense against the charge of heresy. 
Some say, of course not. I mean, every heretic thinks he's right. And pl- plenty of heretics were sincere. I mean, the, the Christians are sincere. Lots of people are sincere. But, but uh, we have to draw the line somewhere. At some, at some point, if, you, if what you believe is, is theologically pernicious enough, the fact that you are acting in good faith is not a defense. Merkaz Mishnah, for example, says this. He says, every min believes that he's, uh, that he's, tell- that he's right. But he's still considered ein lechel chol In the yeshiva world, this, is popu- this doctrine is popularly attributed to Rav Chaim Salvechik, who is reported to have pithily explained the Ramah's position to be against the Ravid, an apikaris b'shogeg is nebuch an apikaris, that uh, a, a good faith mistaken apikaris, it's very sad, but he's still an apikaris. Uh, it, it, doesn't t- it doesn't take away from the fact that he's an apikaris. Again, Rukhaim was not the first one to say this. Uh, many, many uh, thinkers understand the Ramah like this. On the other hand, many understand that that's precisely the Ravid's objection. Man- many understand that's exactly what the Ravid means, to disagree with that. The Ravid's saying... No, if, if, if you make a sincere and committed effort to understand Torah, and you study Torah, and you, and you study Tanakh, and you study Torah Shabbal Peh, and you come to the honest conclusion that Hashem has a goof, you're wrong, it's, it's a shibush, but you're not an apikaris. There's a lot of discussion, the Sefer Ekrim of Yosef Albo in particular, devotes a lot of time to this question, is it proper to call somebody an apikaris if he tried, and he, he really tried, and he made an effort to arrive at the truth, and, and, and unfortunately made mistakes in theology, I think he's inclined to say that you're not an apikaris. He discusses this Rambam and Rivet at length. I'll call upon him, but for, for, for the more specific topic of tonight's discussion, in terms of was the Rambam's position universally held, how widespread was it? So Rivet is the most famous and most prominent evidence we have that no, the Rambam's position was not universally held. Ad Kedekak, that according to Aragirsa, the Rivet says that there were Gedolim Vatovim Imenu who believed Hashem had a guf. And this Ravid, this one line, this one and a half lines of the Ravid, really exemplifies the entire discussion. It's a fascinating, fascinating thing. We're going to see tonight, beyond the Ravid, there are numerous other, other lines of evidence, medieval sources, that there were people who believed Hashem has a goof, but there's virtually no one who actually espoused that view and defended it. There are many who said there are some people who believe that and that we should have respect for them and they're the serious people, but they were all referring to, you know, it's like asking for a friend. They're all referring to what other people believe. There's virtually no one who comes out and says, I believe Hashem has a goof and I believe that. There's virtually no one within mainstream Judaism who, come, who we have on record as saying that I believe that, uh, that Hashem has a goof. One possible exception we'll discuss soon, but virtually the entire discussion is the existence of Chachmei Yisrael, who said there are other Chachmei Yisrael who believe that. It's not quite a, uh, an, unheard, an unthinkable position. And the Ravid is the first one who says that, and as we'll see, there are a number of other similar, similar testimonials in the medieval period. The next one we come to is the Ramban. The Ramban has a, a remarkable letter he wrote. It's, it's, it's printed in the Kisvei Ramban of Shevel. The letter is often referred to by, by its, opening, its opening words, Terem Ana Nishogig. The, the, the Rambam wrote a letter to the Chachmei Tzarfas, to the great, uh, the, the great French scholars, people we refer to as the Balitosus and their schools, the, the great French Talmudists, the, the schools of Rashi and his, and his descendants and disciples. This was written during the Maimonidean controversy. The Rambam published his works, and, and the, the Rambam's works were spread widely and were... And were uh, very popular, were profoundly influential and very popular. But they also had their detractors. There were also people who did not like what the Rambam had done. 
So the Ravid frequently criticizes Rambam. We mentioned one example on, a, on, on doctrinal grounds here, on theological grounds. Most of the Ravid objects to Rambam on uh, halakhic grounds. He didn't like specific rulings of the Rambam. He didn't like maybe the whole project of the Rambam, the, the failure to quote sources, failure to engage in real Talmudic discussion, to just quote single opinions. And just, some people didn't like the Rambam style as a, as a, as a codification, as a, an, an untraditional reworking of the Talmud. But there was also theological and philosophical opposition to the Rambam's theology that came out of the, you know, t- typically the, 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 many of the Jews in the Islamic countries typically liked what the Rambam had done, but the opposition came from the Jews in the Christian countries in places like France and, and Germany, where many people, many of the great Chacham of the time, found the Rambam's theology to be provocative and dubious. And again, what exactly they objected to, we know the Rambam wrote the Holy Gerus Tchiasim to defend his belief in the resuscitation of the dead. So what exactly they were fighting about, there, there have been entire books written about this, trying to reconstruct what exactly the polemics were all about. So the Ramban, in, in, in the course of this, uh, in the course of, 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 this, of this controversy, Ramban wrote a letter where he attempted to play the peacemaker. He attempted to, the, the Ramban had tremendous uh, approbation, tremendous esteem for the Rambam. He also had tremendous esteem for the Chachmet Sarfas, and he tried to reconcile them. The, 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 Ramah had, the Ramah, I believe, had already passed away at this point, but the, the, the Ramban tries to reconcile the Chachmet Sarfas to the Rambam by explaining that, uh, what, what his motivation was for writing the, the, the sorts of books he did and, the, and espousing some of the doctrines he did, and also defending some of his doctrines as being correct and as being well within the mainstream tradition. In the course of his letter, the Ramban writes uh, as follows. He writes, I have heard, I have heard that some, you know, some of your rank, that some of you scholars in, 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 in France, again, who he writes them with, with tremendous uh, reverence and respect, some of it may simply have been good diplomacy. He wanted to you know, appeal to them and to persuade them to, uh, to listen to him. So you know, it, it never hurts to, uh, to, be, to be gracious and nice to the person you're addressing. But he does seem to have had a genuine reverence for, for the Chachmet Tzarfas. And he writes, I've heard that you have critiqued the Rambam for Sefer Amada for the theological part of the Mishnah Torah, because the Rambam said that Hashem has no tzura v'tavnes, Hashem has no body. Meaning that Ramban had heard that there were French scholars who believed Hashem had some kind of corporeality, some kind of form, ad kach, that they were the ones who were upset at the Rambam for denying it. That the Rambam was upset at those who did believe Hashem had a guf. There were some chachmet sarfas who were upset at Rambam who were, who were leading a polemic against him because they, they were upset that Ramban said Hashem had no guf. Says the Ramban, I don't understand. Is, are you really saying that? He says, you're, you're upset at the Rambam for saying Hashem has no guf? All the Gaonim, all the, all, all the early authoritative post-Talmudic sources. All the early, all the early scholars in their poetry, in Sfard and Bavel, in Spain, in Iraq. They, 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 all think that it, it, they all think like the Rambam, that Hashem has no guf, and that it's crucial to believe that, and that it's a fundamental of faith, and anyone who deviates from that is like, Holech Achrei Ahevel. Rambam is absolutely right. He says, Kasev B'Torah, Shani B'Nevi'im, Meshulosh B'Ksuvim, Mefurosh B'Hagados, Midrashim, many Midrashim also testify to this, that Hashem has no guf, that Hashem, the, the, the prime cause, the, 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 the source of all existence, is Ein Lataro Begeshem Vitavnis, he has no, no physical form, he has no limitations, which limitations are a property of physical entities, and so on and so forth. It's true, he says, yeah, there, there are some Midrashim, he says, that the, 
There, there, there are some Adrashim that have sowed, but, but again, certainly the Ikar that we should see from Tanakh, that we see from, from Midrash, is that Hashem has no guf and that, uh, and that he's completely beyond all these physical limitations. And I don't understand why are you, uh, why, why would you challenge him for that, he says. He says, Ramban was a very poetic writer as well. He said a, a kind of a triple play on words here on this faith. Our nation, umana, we were raised, we were, we were brought up like this. Even, even according to the Chachmei Tzarfas, he says, even your, your, even your uh, the great men of Tzarfas, well, Ramban himself was in Spain, but he says, even you, the Chachmei Tzarfas, even your predecessors believe this way. He proceeds to quote from the from works of Rebeliezer of Worms, Rebeliezer the, the Rokeach, he quotes extensively from his works uh, that, that he insisted that Hashem had no body. And Kolar Abanam, he says, Rebbeinu Hananel, we'll see Rebbeinu Hananel's comments on the matter soon, Rebbeinu Nisim, Rebbeinu Nassan, the, the author of the Aruch, they all, they all knew this, they all wrote this, that Hashem has no guf, no, no gashmias, they cursed those who believed that Hashem had body. Avram Avinu understood this, he says, that the... And so on and so forth, he says, and, and that's what the Ramban says, and he quotes extensively from the Rakach, which would be a particularly important source for the Chachmet Sarfas, from the Rakach's works, and so on. So once again... Who's, who's the boogeyman here? Like, why did this just start, this debate, so intensely? So what, so it's, so what, what motivated this debate? What, 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 was, what was pushing both sides? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll, I'll, I'll turn to that in a moment. But, uh, but just, to summar, just to summarize the Ramban... So the Ramban, again, the Ramban firmly and squarely agrees to the Rambam. He says the Rambam is absolutely correct, and the Rambam is not uh, original. This is not original, it's not original to the Rambam. It, this was the traditional belief of the Gaonim and Rabbeinu Hananel and the early ones of Sfard and the early ones of Tzarfas. This is an authentic, legitimate, traditional Jewish belief. On the contrary, all these early sources criticized and cursed those who... Uh, had hurled imprecations against those who deviated. So I don't understand why you great men of Tsarfas, he says, why you are, uh, what your problem is, he says. So again, he testifies that the Workacham in Tsarfas he had heard who believed Hashem had a guf, and he doesn't understand you know, what, what they were doing here and why they were attacking Rambam for this. What, what pushed the, what, what started this whole machlokas, the question is, why was this so critical? So it's hard to know, again, it, uh, it happened a long time ago, it's hard to know, and the Rambam won so decisively, so it's hard to fully understand both sides of this debate. So it seems, to a large extent, Rambam, Rambam's interest in this question, Rambam's emphasis of this question, was largely motivated by his philosophical beliefs. And despite his, his study of Greek philosophy, of Aristotle, despite the fact that Ramban is insisting that other, other Chachmei Yisrael who were not noted, noted for their uh, study of Greek wisdom also believe this, like Rabbeinu Hananel, as we'll see presently. But the, the Rishonim who are most closely associated with this, with this belief are Rambam, by, by a large margin, Rav Sadia Gon, Rambam's predecessor, who also wrote perhaps the first you know, the, the major systematic work of Jewish theology. And so the ones who defended this, the ones who insisted on, on God's incorporeality were often the philosophers, the one great exception we'll turn to presently, who, seemed to, who did seem to insist Hashem did have a guf, is the curious figure of Ramosha Taku. Ramosha Taku was, a, was, was, was from, this, from this French or German school. He came from a place that's now, I think, in, it was in Bohemia. It's in the, it's in, it's in the Czech Republic now. But, but he, he came very much from the, the other school, the, the school that did not uh, study philosophy, he, he wrote a work called Ksav Tamim, which we'll talk about a little more briefly, a little more presently, 
where he was, uh, he, 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 much of the work is an attack on Rafsadia, an attack on the Rambam, an attack on the Ibn Ezra, an attack on, on those who wrote systematically Jewish philosophy, most of whom were influenced to some extent by the philosophy of other cultures. There, there, there was virtually no one who did systematic Jewish theology completely homegrown. Maybe Rav Chastak Kreskis, I mean, maybe Rav Hirsch later, there, there were those who tried to, Maral, who tried to construct a completely internal system of Jewish thought. But at that time, most of the great, the great full-length works on Jewish philosophy, attempts at system and at uh, comprehensive treatments of Jewish theology, were, were, were based on or paralleled other works. Ramosha Taku was upset. He thought this was a uh, selling out kind of, of, of traditional Jewish belief and the traditional, the primacy of the Torah, kind of uh, trying to force the Torah to shoehorn it into the belief systems of other cultures. He basically felt that uh, we have so many psukim and so many midrashim, which the Rambam has to wholesale, reinterpret, and, uh, and allegorize, and so on, whole sections of, of, of uh, Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat he thought that was apparently a betrayal of the Torah and, 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 and in favor of the alien sources of wisdom. And one suspects that to the extent that there were Balitosfas, so that there were the Chachmet Sarfas who believed similar things, who believed the Shemana Guf, they felt that we, we should be primarily deriving our theology from the Torah itself, and then we shouldn't be making concessions to other systems of thought and, and sacrificing and tossing out aspects of the Torah. And this is something that really still, the, the, this basic tension is something that st- which still has resonance in our generation as well. There are all kinds of conflicts between what the Torah seems to tell us, whether it's about homosexuality or the creation of the world or evolution or, or slavery or all, ki- all kinds of uh, genocide. There are all kinds of things the Torah tells us which are, in, which are in some degree of tension with the modes of thought of the modern world, whether ethical modes of thought, scientific modes of thought, historical modes of thought. There are all kinds of things the Torah teaches us which are in some tension. Tension by no means, by no means, means uh, ir- irreconcilable and, uh, and uh, existential crisis. And tension means we have to engage the question and, and figure out what we're going to do about it. But the point is, these tensions have, been, have always been one of Judaism's greatest challenges of what to do when the popular beliefs, when the, when the beliefs of the modern world, for whatever value of modern you're, you're, you're talking about, are in apparent contradiction to the Torah. So the, so, so the Rambam and the philosophers, I think, who, who insisted on this hardline, you know, modern-sounding rejection of corporeality, were seen to some extent, apparently, as having sold out and having betrayed and given up on, 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 this, on, on, on Torah in exchange for, for a preference for other wisdoms, and perhaps that, that's what got them so upset. Much of the opposition to the Rambam was, 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 was couched in these terms. He brought in Greek philosophy, he studied the Greeks, and he, instead of studying Torah and so on, so it's hard, it's hard to know exactly. Again, we weren't there, and all, all we have are these kind of secondhand accounts. But again, we'll see a few more sources. We'll, we'll see the language they use, and we'll, uh, maybe, maybe we'll get a little more insight into, into this machlokas. So once again, we have the Ramban telling us that there were people who believed this, although he doesn't. He, he himself says they're, they're absolutely wrong, these people. We still have no one getting up for himself and saying, I believe that Hashem had a body. There's a... Because even thought, I mean, the Ramban... Right. The Chachmei Tzarfas. They're in a Christian culture. You would think they have more reason to to want to take that issue. Right? They they've got to argue against that. Right? They, they you, you mean for polemical purposes? For for the, yeah, you, you yeah, think they, they've got to 
the, the, same, the same way they had to reject the notion of a Messiah who died or those types of things. Icons and, 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 and church right. art and so on. Yeah, interesting point. I'm not right. In some issues where, where Christians thought they, 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 they went to extreme length to reject anything that smacked of. Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Now, they've pointed out that, that uh, the Riaz, or Yeshayadi Trani, the, the later, known as the Riaz, he, he was an Italian Chacham. He writes also. Is he the, the author of the Tosafot Grandson. Right? He was the grandson. The author, the author of the Tosafot was Rishaya the Elder, Rishaya Hazakain. That's why they, there's often confusion between them. Okay. But the, so the so Rishaya Achron the Riyaz, often quoted by the Shulte Gibarim, he writes that he says it's not strictly prohibited. He says to believe Hashem had a guf. His, his language is Lohikpida Torah Bekach. The Torah is not upset at someone who believes that, uh, even though it's wrong. He said, There were many of the sages of the Talmud themselves, who are, they're the sources of Torah, that he says they weren't such philosophers. They, 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 didn't, they didn't focus on philosophy. They didn't study theology. They were not theologians. They took the biblical text at a, in a naive and simple way. And they took the biblical text at face value. And in their naivete, they thought that Hashem had a guf, a form, and chas v'shalom, he says, chalila, that we should call them minim, sectarians, and that we should, uh, people of that, people who are considered holy and, and a lofty madrega. However, he says what the Rambam wrote in Hilchas Yisodiyat Torah, that Hashem has no guf, the Rambam is absolutely right. So, so once again, the Rambam is right, Hashem has no guf. However, even though the Torah knows that, and, that, and that's true theologically, we shouldn't be so critical of those who believe this, because even sages in the Talmud were not all theologians. In a certain sense, even more provocative than the actual notion that we have a tolerance for this type of heresy, what the Rabbim called heresy, is the notion that he's willing to say that some people in the Talmud were kind of naive theologians. But this is an interesting point discussed by other scholars, uh, other thinkers as well, whether do we assume that all great Chachamim were equally great in all areas, where everything from... Tvila to halacha to agada to Jewish thought to, uh, to to math to astronomy, or do we assume that people had areas of expertise that you could have had people who were great uh, halachists but were not great uh, were not uh, were not great at, at the biblical text, or, or who were great uh, great theologians but were not great halachists? There, there are chachmei Israel, there are mainstream chachamim, Artzchayas and others who have said that not every sage in the Talmud was an expert in every single area of Jewish thought. You, you quote, there are examples in the Talmud where they seem to have not been well-versed in the text of the Torah itself. Someone says about the Aserah Sedibras, you're asking me if how come one of them said, why does it say Tov, the word Tov, in the first Aserah Sedibras, and not the second, and he responded, you're asking me why, you should even ask me, I don't even know if it says Tov in the first one, I'm, I'm not even sure about that. And Tov says, yeah, so they, they, didn't know, they weren't always, they weren't always uh, equally expert in, 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 in questions of the biblical text. It's one thing to say somebody's not an expert in all areas of Torah. It's another thing to say you have no chance at all in Havah. Yeah, yeah. Now, 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 obviously, grave errors in theology are, are, are a much more surprising thing to say about, uh, about Chachmei Talmud than that they weren't experts in, 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 in Mikra or in, in, in Chumash, so to speak. Um, that's not that, experts. Uh, I mean, the, the, the sages of the Talmud say that to each other all the time. Like, for example, Places where um, I think uh, Rabbi Lazar Ben Azaria says 
Rabbi Akiva, go back to Halacha. Right, I was thinking that right. Akiva, Malachet, Malachet, Malachet. Right. So the, the, we, we, the, 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 that's what led many Chacham to say, even even traditionally minded ones, that Chacham is specialized. Not all of them were equally well versed in everything. But all right, obviously, to say that that when it comes to fundamentals of faith, even that they weren't well, they they weren't expert. You think they'd gone to like basic uh, Jewish philosophy one hundred and one classes, even if they weren't themselves uh, cutting edge theologians? Do you think this would have been taught in the schools that they, everyone would have been taught with the basic? They would have they, 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 they would have sung Gigdal. They would have uh, they would have had some basic knowledge of the of the principles of faith. So it is very surprising. Again, he, he, the Riaz, I think, does not assume that they forfeit their Kalik and Al-Naba. He, he, he says they were Kedoshim. I think he would take the position of Rabbit. That, like, you know what I mean? You don't forfeit your Kalik and Al-Naba. It's a very basic theological mistake, but we have tolerance for that. You don't have to specialize in theology, and, and you can still, you know, Al-Naba, you're still, you're still considered Kedoshim, even if you, even if you, we, we mentioned something very similar, actually. Again, not nearly this radical, but we mentioned a similar point a few weeks ago. We, meant, we, we, we mentioned what the Rambam says in the Maranavuchim, about Tameh HaMitzvahs. The Rambam says that God is a, uh, is a perfectly rational being and everything that God does and everything that God commands and everything that God says must be perfectly rational. We may not always understand it, but there always has to be a rational explanation for it. Reason undergirds and, and, uh, and, and can explain everything God does. The Rambam says there were other schools of thought who believed that, no, that God is pure will, that God's will is justification in and of itself, that there's no need to find uh, reason to, to explain God. But the Ram says, we don't accept that. We believe everything has a reason, and therefore he embarks in a lengthy project for you know, many, many chapters in the Marnavuchim to give reasons for all the mitzvahs, because God, he believes, is a, is a supremely and absolutely rational being. So when the Ram discusses Shiloh HaKain, the Rambam says, reason, compassion, as we discussed at length, what about Chazal and Brachos, where there's an opinion in the Gemara that says, that Meshatkino, so if a person says, Al Khan Tibri Yir Rachamecha, Meshatkino, so because he's Osimidoso Shalakoshbar, who Rachamim Bainam Elixeris, their Chazal seem to be saying that, taken simply, taken at face value, there's no reasons, it's just Xera. Says the Rambam, that school of thought in Chazal, they believed that, uh, they believe that mitzvahs have no reasons, like that other school of thought we discussed, but we already refuted that, like that's not a normative belief. So the Rambam. And that's not quite as uh, theologically uh, provocative as saying God has a body, but the Rambam was willing to say that, that there's an opinion in Chazal that was making a, uh, a, a profoundly uh, erroneous philosophical error. One of the most extreme examples of this I personally ever came across is the position of the Ralbag. The, the, the Ralbag says that, 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 that Adam Arishan was allowed, was allowed to eat meat. Chazal said Adam Rishon was not allowed to eat meat. The meat was not permitted until Noah, when Hashem told Noah, you can eat all the animals. At Adam Rishon it says, Kalzera, you can eat the zera, you can eat the, the, you can eat the, the plant material, but, but uh, never says Adam can eat meat. So Chazal understood that Adam was not allowed to eat meat. Rashi, Chazal, many Rishonim understand, I think, that Chazal, that Adam was not allowed to eat meat. It was only after the Mabul that meat was permitted. For various reasons they explain how that worked. Ralbag himself insists, he rereads the Psukim, he says, Adam was allowed to eat meat. And he says that he's motivated by theology. He says it's essentially, it would be heretical, it would be theologically, uh, it would be theologically impossible, he says, to say that God changed his mind. Now, other Rishonim would answer, he didn't change his mind, it was changed circumstances after the Mabul and so on. A lot of things that we change because of changed circumstances. But Ralbag, for some reason, can't can, can stomach that. He says that, it is theologically, it is completely uh, impossible to say 
that the that God originally said meat was usher and later said meat was mutter. What about the fact that Chazal say so? Not everything. Not everything in Chazal is theologically normative. He says Chazal said some things which are just theologically just not right. He says there are other opinions, and not everything. Not not every statement in Chazal is theologically. He doesn't use words like heresy over there, but he basically says that it's a fundamental belief we have in God that He does not change. That God is unchanging and immutable. And that opinion in Chazal didn't didn't quite uh, you know didn't didn't fully appreciate or understand that point. All right. So sometimes, okay, sure. Isn't there a tension there between trying to reason, let's say, God's rational, and so uh, all those who have reason, and God has no qualities like humans? Yeah. Reason. Yeah, so that, that, that does get a little tricky. That, 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 the Raman the does say things like, the Raman has a whole system of negative theology, even, 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 even properties that sound good. We can't describe positive properties to God. We can only use negative terms like he does not have this deficiency, he does not have that deficiency. God is so alien and removed from our comprehension, it's in, so, so incomprehensible. Alien is not the right word. It's so incomprehensible we can't even use terms to describe him. But yeah, but, but yet he felt Raman was ra- that God was rational. There is an interesting tension. I, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not uh, up on the, on the Rambam's, all of the Rambam's thought and philosophy about that, so I'm not going to go further down that line. But yeah, that is, that is an important point we would have to discuss, whether rationality itself is a, is a property that it makes sense to. And this comes up, uh, this actually does come up in, in, in the context of the, 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 the great medieval conundrum that they were so, so uh, disturbed by the, the tension between free will and divine omnipotence. So Rambam, in, 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 one of, in, in one of his discussions in the Murder of Uchim of that topic, the Rambam says that the resolution or part of the resolution is, without even getting into what exactly the question is, but the, the, the resolution the Rambam says is that uh, since God is so completely beyond our comprehension, even the words we use, the adjectives, the descriptions we use of God, are completely, uh, mean completely different things as they would mean when applied to humans, and therefore... You know, logical reasoning that, that, that implies that language means the same thing when applied to God uh, breaks down because God is different. Ral Bag didn't like that. Ral Bag says, I mean, you're using the words. If the words don't have any meaning, then, 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 then what are you doing? And then, 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 I mean, he says it's, it's much more philosophically sophisticated than that, but that, that's to a large extent his point. He says, if you're using words uh, that, that, that God knows, if uh, knows must have a meaning. If it doesn't have a meaning, then it's just meaningless syllables. Obviously, you must be assuming it has some kind of meaning. If it has some kind of meaning, then, 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 then we're allowed to reason logically about it. So this tension about how much can we even speak uh, meaningfully and about, about God without saying he's unknowable is, is a difficult question. It, it, it's not something that I understand well or that I'm prepared to get into now, but yeah, it, it's definitely a valid point. So, just, so, so just, uh, just a final few minutes here. So we have, um, yes, we talked about the, the Riaz again. The Riaz testifies that the... That, that, that there were, even in the Gemara, there were some who believed this. Of course, it's wrong, he says, and it's, it's a mistake, but it's, 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 not, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's not such a big deal. You can still be a great and holy man, even if you have this erroneous theological belief. Rabbeinu Hananel, I mentioned several times earlier, Rabbeinu Hananel is quoted by the Arzarua, one of the great Ashkenazim, as, as insisting that Hashem has no guf. He doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge anyone says differently, but Rabbeinu Hananel just got, Rabbeinu Hananel was a thousand years ago, kind of a bridge between the Gaonim and the and the, and the Rishonim. Rabbi Hananel is discussing the Gemara in Brachos that says Hashem has tefillin, and it describes Hashem as almost like a person with tefillin. Minayin shakash baruchu meniach tefillin. Nishpa Hashem biyamino, with his right hand, ubezroa, and his arm. And that's a reference to tefillin. It says, bezroa uzo is tefillin. Hashem oz la'amo yitain. 
the right hand is the you put tefillin on the left hand generally. So Yamino is the Torah. The left hand is the hand that we wear tefillin on. So, um, so the, so the, so the, 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 that's what the Mark talks about what's written in Hashem's tefillin and so on. So Rabbi Hananel is very disturbed by this that uh, Hashem is like a person wearing tefillin. What on earth does that mean? Rabbi Hananel says it's it, it, it's a vision Hashem shows Nevi'im when it says they saw. He refers to repeated language in Tanakh. The people saw Hashem, Nevi'im, the, the Merkava, Reisi as Hashem, Yeshaya. I see Hashem sitting on a throne, Ba'eres Hashem, Vesachas Raglav. They, they saw Hashem with legs and, and bricks and so on. These are visions. These are things Nevi'im see in their mind's eye. Just like in English we say you can see in your mind's eye. It doesn't bring English, but he says that in the Torah, seeing there doesn't mean any kind of corporeal seeing. Of course, Hashem has no guf. El nita damion el umad Ria's belayev. Of course, Hashem has no goof. He goes. Ria mamish chas v'shalom. He says, would 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 Rabbi Yitzchak, who said the statement about the tefillin, would he be cholik on the Torah? The Torah says kilo yirani hadam v'chai. You cannot see Hashem. Hashem has no physical form. So he says, what what is all that about? I mean, he says he saw Hashem. Hashem. He saw Hashem wearing tefillin. Again, so there, there's virtually no one who who admits to believing in corporeality. The one possible exception we met, we started mentioning earlier. Is, is, is a sefer called the Ksav Tamim of Ramosha Taku. It's a sefer that hasn't really survived in, entirely. They, they've started publishing fragments of it. Uh, he was, as we said, he was very upset at the philosophers who were, uh, he felt they were selling out the, the Torah, selling out the Torah Shabbat, Torah Shabbat. He insisted that, that, that you know, I'll, I'll te- we, should, we shouldn't be too much of a chacham. We should just take the psukim as, as they read. It's not our job to start reinterpreting and saying they don't mean things. Everything, should, we should take the Torah at face value. We should, we should insist that the Torah and Nevi'im and Ksuvim and Chazal all mean exactly what they say. He's very upset about Rav Sadia. He's very upset about the Rambam. He's very upset about the Benezra. He spends a lot of time insisting that we take, uh, we take things much more literally than, um, than others. What exactly he did believe is, is not entirely clear. He believed, uh, it seems like he believed, it, it, it's generally assumed he believed some kind of uh, version of divine corporeality. Again, you know, this, is, this was not a major work in Jewish thought. It was rarely referred to. If the, he, uh, he's, uh, most, most people have never heard of him today. You know, that may be because, because of his beliefs were problematic, but whatever it was, you know, his sefer is to some extent a footnote, an interesting and important footnote, but a footnote in Jewish intellectual thought. And even what he believed is debated. Uh, there, there's an article recently, several decades ago, where, where uh, Avram Berliner has tried to argue, apparently, that he's being misinterpreted. He, he never really meant that Hashem had a... Uh, he never really meant that Hashem had to go either. He, he, he was just upset at what he felt were these kind of crass and crude attempts to impose philosophical meanings on the psukim. We should just accept that, that we don't know what the psukim mean. We should just read the psukim and believe them instead of thinking that we're so smart and we know what the psukim really mean. They don't mean what they say. But what exactly, again, what exactly he did believe is, is hard to know. He, what, what is clear is that he was very upset at the classic medieval attempts, the medieval and pre-medieval attempts to philosophize Judaism and to impose you know, medieval modes of philosophical thought on the religion, that clearly he didn't accept. Whether he actually believed that Hashem had a guf is something which is uh, is something which is which is, is, is something which is unclear. And again, you know, people have tried to untangle and decipher what exactly he did hold. He did hold, but uh, but we'll 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 have to leave that.